Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 23. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All of the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to to Moses, It sounds like a war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stones to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, Make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. If you're joining us this morning, you're catching us right in the middle of a summer-long series exploring the themes of Exodus and the the freedom that God gives, exploring that theme all the way through the story of the Bible, but particularly the story of the people of Israel being rescued from slavery, Moses leading them, God with them. Last few weeks, we've spent some time in the Ten Commandments. But today we meet a golden calf. No, not this one. 
this one. And that is the obvious thing to focus on this story. Much like we tend to focus on the lake and where the creek comes into the water, we tend to focus on the calf and maybe Moses losing his cool. But let's work our way into this story a bit, go upstream, if you will, to where it's coming from. And at its heart, this story is not about the breaking of some bloodless contract. That said, though, we have our own way of dealing with contracts that have been broken. We round file them, or we shred them. No, no, no. This story is about a wounded and broken love. The heartbeat of this story being about wounded and broken love explains both Moses' anger and also God's. In fact, maybe one of the best metaphors to open for us just how intense this story is, is to put yourself in the place of a newlywed who walks back into the hotel room during the honeymoon and finds the husband or the wife in bed with someone else. That's a really good equivalent to what God is experiencing with people going after this other God. And all of this, of course, is why sin isn't at its heart a legal problem. Sin is a love problem. Sin is a worship problem because worship at its root has to do with love and trust and security and where we find our identity. And it's because we're invited into a love relationship with the creator, God of the universe, who made us, delights in us, despite us leaving him behind. Because it's a love issue is why we can never reduce worship and service, obedience and trust to following a checklist. This is why the whole issue of sin is a matter of loyalty. It's also why idolatry is the most subtle sin of all. To think that we're giving our honor to God, to think that we're entering a relationship with him, often through religious means, doing good things, seeking good things, enjoying good things. But in reality, letting our affections be drawn out to something else, something good, but something not the ultimate good, not God himself. See, intellect is a good thing. Cleverness is a good thing. Having a good joke, good sense of humor is a great thing. But make, making cleverness and humor your God, you get Loki. And Loki is hard to live with. Power is a good gift of God to absolutely every creature. The trees around me, the ants and I and you all have power to affect the space and universe around us. But make power your God. Getting power, using power, make that the thing you worship and seek and get your identity. You get Zeus. You see, the pagans were not wrong in seeing deity everywhere because every good thing can become an idol, can become a God who will eat us alive if we let it. For these Israelites, it wasn't a bad thing to wonder where Moses had went. 
They knew he'd gone up the mountain. It was taking longer than it had the other times. Wondering why is perfectly normal, perfectly natural. But to make an idol out of Moses' presence with them, such that when he's gone just a little longer than they want him to be, they completely freak out. Their sense of security has been misplaced. and They completely lose it in response. For Aaron, it's a little different. He's been elevated into the priesthood by the voice of God himself, alongside his brother being the leader of the people. But now when he's on his own, he needs the approval of the people more than he needs the approval of God himself. And he hedges and haws and tries to meet the people halfway rather than simply saying, God has forbidden making images. As the great African theologian Augustine put it, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And we're restless because our hearts are idol factories, personal idols, national idols, intellectual idols, all of the isms that we fall into from communism to capitalism and everything in between. Anything, anything, anything good that we put in the place of God. So what's our way out? What brings us to a point where we are helped to choose God and his love and his care, his faithfulness to us, and choose away from these other things we are so tempted to rely on. The first guard for our hearts is to trust God's word. Like any good and faithful lover, God speaks. And like any good friend, God invites us to trust his word. And so when God speaks, when God communicates to us, most of all through scripture, the, the word of God that's been affirmed by all of God's people throughout these last millennia, when God speaks, we choose to trust even when we do not see the way or feel the way. We trust his word. And not only do we choose to trust God's word. We choose to trust God's purposes, which is to say we trust God's character and his intentions of good for us. Did those people understand why Moses was taking so long? No. Does Aaron understand why he needs to guard against the idolatry? Clearly not, or he would have. But if we understand that God is out for our good when he speaks, we can trust his purposes, even if we do not understand why a particular thing is asked of us, or a particular time extends longer than we think it ought to, a particular situation is more dangerous than we want it to be, a particular hope is deferred longer than we had wanted. We can trust and guard our hearts against placing our hope in something else other than him. The first guard for our hearts is to trust God's word. Like any good and faithful lover, God speaks. And like any good friend, God invites us to trust his word. And so when God speaks, when God communicates to us, most of all through scripture, the, the word of God that's been affirmed by all of God's people throughout these last millennia, 
when God speaks, we choose to trust, even when we do not see the way or feel the way. We trust his word. And finally, remember God's grace. As another pastor put it, when we're tempted to sin, the enemy will pull us away from seeing Jesus' beauty. Because if we see God as the ultimate good, the one who's come for us, the one who loves us, who's with us, who forgives us, who sustains us, we see just how amazing he is. We're not going to want to do things that displease him, that pull us away from him. We're just not. But the flip side of grace is his mercy when we do step away from him. And so the enemy, when we step away, wants us to neglect his mercy, to think that God's out to get us, that God will simply be unrelenting. He's cut us off. He won't come back. But that's just not true. The guards for us against our hearts falling away, moving away, pulling away from the one who loves us, his word, his purposes and character, his grace and his mercy. Friends, hold on to these things and we will rest secure.